You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to be in worship with you. I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, It's a wonderful time in our house. Today is special because it's the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is that season in the Christian year that leads up to Christmas. And Advent, as that song just so beautifully said, Advent means Jesus is coming to us. And Advent reminds us that as human beings, we are not alone, that God is with us in Jesus Christ. Our sermon series this month is going to be not alone, and we're focusing in on how God comes to us and the gifts God offers us. We're going to look at the theme of hope. I also want you to know that during Advent on Mondays following the sermon from 12 to 1230, either on Facebook Live or Zoom, you can tune in and we're going to have a conversation about the themes of the sermon. You can submit questions at roswellpress.org forward slash advent. Um, there's also the Zoom link and the Facebook Live link. And we're hoping that we can kind of more deeply explore how these themes impact our lives during Advent. And today we look at the gift of Christian hope. Hope in a Christian understanding is not naturally given to us. It's also, it shouldn't be confused with optimism. Christian hope is a gift from God. And I think we all agree we could use more hope in our lives. So let us look at this great passage from Holy Scripture from Psalm 130. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you by your spirit might speak a word about hope to our hearts, or we need to hear it. Oftentimes we go through times where it feels hopeless, and so we need the gift of your grace, the gift of hope, or we are not alone. We thank you. And so now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My wife reads more news than is probably psychologically healthy for anyone to consume. And she's so generous that sometimes she shares the news with me. And one of the places she gets news from, especially news about our neighborhood, is this app called Nextdoor. Maybe you've heard of it. And it's an app where people share their observations with their neighbors about the neighborhood. So everything, they share everything on there. Watch out for the kids who are selling candy bars. Here's a recommendation for a plumber. Oh no, I heard there was a break-in. I mean, it's all on there. And one day she says, honey, you're not going to believe this. 
I said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm ready for this. And she says, Jeff, there are reports of an owl attacking people walking on the sidewalk. I was like, what are you talking about? Are we in an Alfred Hitchcock movie? And she says, no, seriously. The lady down the street said an owl recently attacked her husband, leaving him with several lacerations on his head just when he was out on the sidewalk getting the newspaper. Be careful out there. And I was like, oh my gosh. Now to the list of things I have to be worried about. I have to be worried about the health of my pregnant wife, inflation in the economy, the end of your giving, not getting COVID. And now I have to worry about getting attacked by an owl? Lord, I'm at my wit's end. This is too much. It's too much to be worried about. In today's scripture passage, I think the psalmist is in a precarious predicament. He's worn out and at the end of his rope, He doesn't have a lot left in the tank. Some commentators say he's in a state of depression. He's asking God for help. He feels hopeless and he needs a little hope. I think all of us at some points in our lives come to these places where we say, Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I'm lonely. I'm anxious. I'm worn out. I'm in need of hope. If that's how you feel today, this psalm is for you. I would say, memorize it, read it, interiorize it so that you have it whenever you need to pray. It gives you the words to pray for hope. The 20th century German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the psalms the prayer book of the Bible. And he makes this really important point. He says, the Psalms don't just speak to us, they speak for us. They don't just speak to us, they speak for us. He's saying, sometimes we don't know the words to pray. And the Psalms give us the words to speak. Whether we're high or low, angry, sad, happy, they give us the words to pray, they pray for us. If you're anything like me, you're wrestling with anxiety, probably have a a list of things you're worried about. The economy, health concerns, geopolitics, the warming of the earth, your son's baseball team. Worry about your retirement savings. Will it last? What are you going to buy your spouse for Christmas? I could go on and on. We all have our fears. We all have our attacking owls. So how do we find? How do we find what's necessary to live with hope amidst a world that confronts us with so many things to fear? How do we forge ahead when the, when the future looks suspect? How do we live hopefully when in any moment an owl could swoop down and attack us? I think there are three options. The first option is we can turn to Panglossian optimism. If you've been around long and heard me speak, you know that my favorite word in the English language is Panglossian. And if you're going to be taking the GREs in the coming weeks, you'll want to listen to this. Pay attention. Panglossian means to be inappropriately optimistic. Inappropriately optimistic. These people wear don't worry, be happy t-shirts. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? There's so much to worry about. 
I'm going to the doctor, you know, find out if I have cancer. I haven't heard from my child in a while. I'm listening to the radio news. I am worried. Don't worry, be happy. Are you kidding me? That's Panglossian. Probably the most philosophically sophisticated person to hold this Panglossian perspective was the 17th century philosopher Gottfried Leibniz. Leibniz was famous for arguing philosophically that we live in the best of all possible worlds that God could have created. We live in the best of all possible worlds that God could have created. Leibniz was brilliant, but for those of us that watch much football uh, here in the South, we might say he outpunted his coverage. <laughs> Following Leibniz, a guy comes along, French intellectual writer named Voltaire. And Voltaire writes a satirical novel critiquing Leibniz's perspective. It's called Candide. And in the book, Voltaire is challenging many folks of his time of this enlightenment perspective that human history and the world is just going to get better and better and better. It's just going to progress and improve. And so Voltaire has the central character in the story. is named Candide. And Candide is mentored and taught by his teacher named Pangloss. And Pangloss's great theme of his writing and his teaching is that, and I quote, all is for the best in the best of all possible worlds. All is for the best in the best of all possible worlds. And the book follows Candide and Pangloss around as they encounter the human suffering, the horrors of history in the world. At one point in their journey, Pangloss and Candide, they shipwreck outside Lisbon, Portugal. And when they swim to shore, suddenly they are struck by an earthquake, a tsunami, and a fire strike. <laughs> they are surrounded by tens of thousands of suffering and dead people. So much suffering. Voltaire's got in the back of his mind the Seven Years' War and the 1755 earthquake that struck Lisbon. And walking around the wreckage and the human suffering, Candide and Pangloss walk. And Pangloss keeps repeating this. This is for the best in the best of all possible worlds. He's being Panglossian. This is for the best in the best of all possible worlds. And one of the unfortunate things about his perspective is his reciting this, this optimism, his Panglossian optimism, prevents him from doing anything to help anybody. So this is for the best in all possible worlds. I want you to know, Christian hope is not blind optimism. It's not Panglossian. Rather, it looks at the suffering and misery of the world and says, how can I help? How is God calling me to help those who are hurting? How am I called to alleviate the suffering and misery of the world? Christian hope is not Panglossian. But on the other end of the spectrum, you don't have Panglossianism. You might have what we might call deathly despair. The psalmist is wrestling with despair in our passage. He's asking, is there reason to hope? Or is it just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? He writes, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. He's wrestling with despair. One of the filmmakers who has wrestled most seriously with despair, purpose, meaning, and morality is Woody Allen. His movie Crimes and Misdemeanors is probably the most explicit of his films that deals with this topic. 
One of the central characters of the film is named Judah, played by Martin Landau. Not coincidentally, he's an ophthalmologist. He's an eye doctor. And the question, one of the central questions of the movie is Judah, does he see clearly? Does he see his life? Does he see the world in a clear way? One of the central plots of the movie involves Judah starting an affair with a flight attendant named Dolores. Well, Dolores wants him to end his marriage. And Judah resists. And finally, Dolores threatens that she's going to tell Judah's wife. And so Judah doesn't know what to do. And he's stressed about it. And he goes to a rabbi who's a patient of his and asks him what he should do. And the rabbi says, you should come clean to your wife. Just tell the truth. But Judah's worried that if he does that, he might end the marriage. And so he chooses another action. He tells his brother about his predicament. His brother's a gangster. And he hires a hitman who murders Dolores. After she is murdered, Judah is stricken with guilt until the murder is blamed on a drifter with a criminal record. And Judah then, he realizes he's not going to get caught and he's overwhelmed with joy. He believes there is no one, not God, not society, not law, that will hold him accountable for his actions. This is deathly despair. In the movie's DVD commentary, Woody Allen says this about his own perspective about the world. He says, I think the universe is indifferent. At best, we create a fake world for ourselves and we exist within that fake world, a world that in fact means nothing at all when you step back. It's meaningless, but it's important that we create some sense of meaning because no perceptible meaning exists for anybody. That's despair. It's a position that believes that death is the insurmountable power in the world. That death rules over all things. And Alan doesn't believe in God, an ethical code, or morality. He's trapped in this nihilistic despair. Crimes and Misdemeanors actually is kind of his response to Fyodor Dostoevsky's, the Russian novelist's book, Crime and Punishment. It's kind of a similar plot where the main character commits a murder. The crime happens in the first quarter of the book. And then the, the next three quarters of the book deal with the punishment. And the main character is riddled with shame and guilt. And only at the end of the book, when he finally confesses his sin, when he finally comes clean, does he receive grace? Does he find purpose? Does he find true joy? Dostoevsky agreed with Alan. If there is no God, everything is permitted. He disagreed with Alan, though, if there's a God. He taught there was. And Advent is the Christian response to this problem. That we need not despair. We have reason to hope. We don't give in to or retreat to Panglossian optimism. Or we don't give in to despair. Because we celebrate at Advent that we have a radical hope. Radical hope. Remember, Advent means coming. And we believe that there are three ways Jesus comes to us during Advent. First, we believe that he came 2,000 years ago. That God incarnated himself in the flesh in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we are not alone. Quite literally, God feels our pain. Second, Christ comes to us every day through the Holy Spirit, 
comforts our hearts. The New Testament calls this, the Holy Spirit the great comforter that gives us the gift of hope, sees us through the tough times of our lives. And then the third way, we believe that Advent looks forward to the end of all things when Christ will finally come, when life and love will triumph over death. And that light and love shines a bright light into our present moment that inspires us with radical hope. The story of Jesus that I think best embodies this comes in his relationship and friendship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. When I got to think about it, I think this story probably informs my own life and ministry more than any other. I love it because when Lazarus becomes deathly ill, they say that Mary and Martha, his sisters, send for Jesus, but Jesus waits several days to come. And when he finally does come, Lazarus has died. There's weeping and mourning. Mary can't even bring herself outside to meet Jesus. Martha, she berates Jesus. Why didn't you come more quickly? She says, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, this is going to be an opportunity for God to show God's power. Now there, are we thinking about Leibniz? Is he being Panglossian? No. Why not? Because the shortest verse in the New Testament then comes and it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Because if you know the story, what Jesus is about to do is to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he stops to identify with the human suffering, the pain, the agony of having a loved one die. And Jesus is there with them in their grief, in their mourning. Jesus weeps. This is a radical hope. It's radical because it's not afraid of wrestling with de despair, but it, it's also hope because it doesn't let despair have the last word. We can pray with the psalmist. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Christmas is the time we celebrate the fact that God has come to us in Jesus Christ to offer hope. God doesn't re remain far and distant. God comes near to have radical hope, we need someone to identify with our failures, our fallibilities. We need someone who's wrestled with that unholy trinity of disease and death and despair. We need someone who knows these realities, but who has power to overcome them. And that overcoming them can offer us hope. Let me conclude with an illustration. This summer, because my schedule changed, I had to change out my workout routine where I started running in the morning before I ever went to work. It was still dark out. So one morning, I'm running along the path that I usually run. There's a bunch of trees that line it. It's still dark out. And as I'm running down the path, I hear somebody coming from behind me. I kind of slow down. And I turn and look, and I see the strangest thing. This guy, this young guy, is running with a tennis racket. I think that's odd. It's too early. The tennis carts aren't open. He doesn't have any tennis balls with him. Why the tennis racket? And so I, I kind of slow down to let him pass by me. And as he runs next to me, he holds up the racket and says, it's to fend off the owl if he attacks. I say, what owl? And I kid you not, he says, that owl right there. And in the tree, I see the silhouette 
of the owl. And I turn and say, wait up, I need you to protect me. Friends, there are owls that will come and try to attack us. We need protection. We need someone to go with us who can offer us hope. And this is exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. Advent is the time we celebrate God's coming to earth in Jesus Christ. God's coming to us here and now in the Holy Spirit. And Advent's point to the future when life and love will triumph over all things. And because of that, we can pray, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I pray that this Advent season might be a time where you can shine hope into our lives, that we won't retreat to Panglossian optimism, we won't give in to despair, but we will live in the radical hope you and your son Jesus offer us. We thank you for that hope. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.